What if this dog needs to go out? I didn't realize there was a dog in the room. <laughs> but he's, well, he was looking at me. He was just sitting over there looking at me like, it's fine. Um, this so... is a pet. This is a pet friendly podcast. Let's see what happens with the dog. Yep. Maybe the dog will take us somewhere. He doesn't he will he take have us like Oscar. He's like, you guys want to hang out for a little while? Yeah, we're hanging. We're chilling. Can I hang out with you guys? Okay. So um, this is where I was thinking about beginning. Uh, when I was listening to the last podcasts and editing them, I was like, wow. So I share a lot of personal stories. And yet Kent always finds a way to be like, blah, 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 blah. That's David what, White. You think I skip over personal stories? No, I'm just saying you quote... Like, people might think that you have a phone full of quotes that you're just looking at the whole time, <laughs> but you're actually just pulling them out of your head. Just, they just occur to me. They, they've worked on but it then you, But then you cite them. Like, you quote them verbatim, and then you cite whom it's from. I make mistakes every once in a while, but... Well, you play it these are, these are all These are quotes that have meant something to me. They've gone down deep. Well, good. Um, but then, then we were talking about this book that you were working on mm-hmm. and, uh, and you were saying that you're getting some feedback that you have to share some more personal stories. Yeah, I had to, the book has given me a little bit of trouble and I have an idea. I have several ideas and, um, I'm trying to. Uh, for a while I was trying to separate the idea. What is the idea here? What is the theological idea or the spiritual idea that I'm trying to name, refine, go after? And I was trying to separate myself out from yeah. that. So that's kind of boring. Yeah, this it is, is totally boring. And I so, bored myself. So I'm wondering, like, what is, is there a story that's come up recently that you're like, oh, I, I have to share that, but I don't want to. You're wrestling with it. Um. Yeah, there, you know, there was a, there's something happened to me once when I was teaching at Mars Hill and it, what happened was I was, I was walking around the stage and just giving a sermon, just doing my sermon thing, you know, giving a few, saying a few funny things and trying to say some things that were true and referring to the Bible and looking at my notes my notes are very rough. They're so, it's sort of like an outline. We're sitting in a room that's making a creaking sound. Can you hear it in your headphones? I think so. I'm just acknowledging that it well, is there, just, but we just boiled it. We're in a very old cabin, <laughs> and then the, the boiler is creaking. We're that is a bit weird. All. Oh, it's an electric heater. That's oh, what it is. Okay. We're fine. Yeah, we're in a friend's house. Okay, go ahead. And so I'm walking around the stage, and... All of a sudden, I could hear myself talking, almost from above, and almost like an out-of-body experience. And I had the thought, who is, who is that that is talking? Well, I was talking, and I kept going with the sermon, and it gave me such a strong feeling. It lasted for a while, this moment. This moment lasts for a while. Who is that that is talking? And, and here's another thought I had. What is that guy talking about? That was the most overwhelming feeling. What is that guy talking about? And you know it's you talking. That's not the way it felt. Okay. I mean, it's, it felt like one part of myself was talking, was observing another part of myself. Okay. But... Not in some sort of conscious meditation moment where, you know, I'm the observer. I just mean it happened to me as a surprise. Yeah. And I could not get over it for several days. What is happening? This was a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and it freaked me out. It freaked me out that some part of myself was observing some other part of myself that did not seem true or that did not seem true enough. I guess it's not that that the person giving the sermon was not Kent, but there was some other part of me that I didn't have access to Hmm. and was trying to wake me up, I guess. I guess that's the way to say it. And even when I think about 
like I said, it was several years ago, but this was something that hap- happened to me in kind of, a, if I take the long view of things, that was disturbing enough that I started to get curious about it. Okay, is there some part of myself that um, I haven't yet discovered? I think uh, spiritual direction helped me out a bit with, with this journey, but... Was that kind uh, of a beginning do you think of like where, where where things were going to go, or was it like in the middle of a thing? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, maybe it was kind of. Uh, I'd say it was in the middle. It was in the middle of things, and a lot of you know. I think a lot of pastors, probably any kind of public person, struggles with being authentic. Being a pastor, there's a, there is a kind of game that is played. And I don't, I'm not, I don't mean that negatively, but there are certain parameters. You can feel very strongly. Here are the borders. Here are the parameters. And you're going to do this thing live in front of all of us. And we're going to expect certain things from you. And we'll give you a little bit of leeway here or there. Um, but this far you shall come and no further. Mm-hmm. That's out there somewhere. And in the middle of that, you're trying to say something real and authentic. And you work on that during the week. Like I worked on my sermons. I tried them out, you know, I, you know, I type or sometimes they even talk out loud and you could feel when it wasn't right. You'd say, Mm -hmm. oh, that doesn't sound, that's not something I would say. That's, that's not quite true. But whenever you start it, at least I should say, because my sermons are more like outlines, I'm never exactly sure what I'm going to say when I get into it. And, um, I don't know. So like in the moment, you also feel that struggle between sort of authenticity and this other game that's happening. So in this moment, like you split into two, I think so. Or I became aware Mm -hmm. that I was splitting just a little bit. And I don't, I don't even say that negatively. Like that's a horrible thing. I just became aware of it, but but it took me a long time to sort of come to terms with, with that question. What is it that I'm doing up here? Who is it that's speaking? I probably, I, do, I have no idea what I was talking about. I can't tell you. I have n- no clue what that content of the sermon was. But if I had to guess, it was probably something that I really no longer believed. That's a, that would be a guess I have. Or something I was coming to un, unbelieve, <laughs> yeah. not believe anymore. Um and I don't know. It was like some part of me was waking up and saying, oh, wait a second, wait a second. Um, yeah, who is that guy? Who is, is it, that persona? <laughs> who is that Kent that is the public um, pastor man, the answer man? And it, it's taken me a long time to say, um, even without judging that, I don't want to be some sort of spiritual persona, some sort of spiritual answer man that kind of says the right things and everyone's like, Ooh, that's, that's deep. Um, even though I, I, that can do some good in the world, but I think, I don't know. I just had to. So uh, why is that? Why? And not that this is an interview of you. And actually this is kind of like another thing, uh, that I think there, that's kind of fun to talk about, but, um, but why, I mean, what, so why is that like personal or something that's kind of like, you're wrestling with even, I don't know, sharing or something. If that's where, if that was the starting point for the question. I don't know. I mean, I couldn't get up the next week and say, Hey guys, freaky thing happened to me. Oh yeah. I'm splitting off in the middle of a sermon. There's some part of me that says who, what the hell is that guy talking about? Wouldn't that be amazing if you could? Yes, it would be amazing. Oh, God, but I could. I, I was that. not in a healthy enough place or a mature enough place. Well, and it's probably there's probably I, I don't know reasons. I'm guessing reasons for like I don't know cohesiveness amongst a community or something that yeah. you're not supposed to. That's what I mean man, by the game. Why, why can't we? I don't know. Um, oh, that would be. I would love to go to wherever that's happening. Yeah, but you know, church isn't about some guy's existential, you know, musings. Yeah. Church is about a whole lot of things. And I don't know, you have some responsibility to say, hey, people are gathered here and you want to try to say something that's true and maybe challenging and give people a few questions. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that's going on in the room and why people go. And um, 
And a lot of it is good. A lot of it is not helpful in my view, but a lot of it is really quite uh, helpful. But I don't know. I mean, it's, and anyway, only Protestants are concerned about the sermon. I mean, have you ever been to a Catholic mass? It's like, blah, blah, blah. We don't even care about what the priest is saying or, or even the Episcopal church. My friend became an Episcopal priest and his sermons are like 12 minutes long. You know, I mean, it's an just, easy job. And I'm up there talking for 45 <laughs> minutes. Probably people wish it was 12 minutes long. So but this it's is not the primary, you know, it's not the primary thing people go to church for. Well, and this, this is my most recent insight. And this is not like about creating a thesis for this, you know, us sitting down recording things. Um, but this was when I was listening. I was like, I, I had this kind of moment when I was listening to the last uh, couple of things that we did. Where I, I finally realized, I was like, oh, I think I, Paul, more was coming in and I was like, well, Kent, you know, has left his position at Mars Hill. I guess this is kind of a story about Kent. And it seemed like whenever I was pursuing that, it was like, this isn't really working well. But when we were just talking about what's going on, I was, I was realizing, oh, that's what this is about. And, and I think I described it like this. It was like, this is about stepping out of hierarchy structures, I guess. Um, and it's a, and it's about not, uh, it's about like not having to be in, in that kind of spot of like, well, well, is this, is this musing, you know, something that's not going to serve this really broad community and make it more cohesive. It, it can just be about two people that are, you know, just sort of like wrestling with the same stuff. It seems so much more profound when I actually like, thought no, about I, it. I, I don't, <laughs> and I don't worry about it being profound. That I'm just saying, dumb. I, I guess I'm with you. Um, that was what I became curious about. That's why, I mean, when we first started talking about, hey, we should just sit down and hit record sometime. I just wanted to have a unscripted conversation because you're right about the hierarchy. There people are addicted to spiritual authorities. And I'm not saying there are not people out there who are further down the road. There are a lot of great teachers who are further down the road. But the kind of hierarchy, like, I need to go listen to a special spiritual answer man. Yeah. And he's going to tell me some things, and I'm going to be able to apply them to my life. Um, maybe there's a time and a place for that, but that's obviously not what we're doing here. Yeah. I mean, there is no hierarchy. I don't have the job anymore. I don't have the role of a pastor. I'm just a guy. Yeah. I'm an unemployed guy, you know, who's, who's, well, I mean, I got a few things going on, but I just mean, I don't have that role anymore. And, um, and what if we could clear that away? It, it becomes a kind of block. It becomes a block. It becomes a block to sort of beginning to listen to one's inner voice. Maybe the thing that, that was coming up in that moment for me saying, who is that guy that's speaking? A little more permission to listen to that, to trust that. Um, and actually, the, 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 the best um, of Christian spirituality says that that inner voice is the inner voice of God, but we, but, or the inner voice of the Spirit, or you can use all kinds of different language. Yeah. Um, but it gets shoved down. Even church shoves it down because, oh, you know, who am I? I'm unworthy. I'm coming here to listen to some guy who went to seminary. I didn't even go to seminary. And, you know, thousands of people come and listen to me as some kind of spiritual authority. And I gained some expertise in the Bible that other people didn't have. Um, and I and I really hope it was helpful. And a lot of people reflect back to me that things I said were helpful. But what's unhelpful is that dynamic. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I mean, because it's like you're describing, like, you have to just stop. You have to block off your own... Um, and I feel like the word journey is too overused, but blocking off that actual intuition, mm. like I feel, and that's, and that's, it's almost like, like subscribing to the thing that, that it seems like is the, uh, you know, the predominant voice, which is like, stop listening to your intuition. Mm. Your intuition isn't the thing you have to go hear some sort of authority. The authority has somehow mastered their own intuition when the truth is the authority is, is somebody who's like maybe probably missing yeah. their own intuition and longs to get back to having a spot where you can just listen to that thing that's inside of you. I, I, this, yeah. Yeah. This is, well, I, and it's not just listening. I mean, this is why 
it's about discerning. It's about, it's empowering people to discern because not everything inside me or even what I quote think of as my intuitions, sometimes they lead me wildly off course. You know, it could be some wounded part of myself talking or yeah. some loyal soldier part of myself talking saying, be the good boy, be the, be the pretty boy with all the answers, you know, kind of thing. And I could call that my inner voice. But I think a maturing spirituality is it's about, it's about maturing in the area of discernment. That's the place that I'm in right now, helping to discern like a, like a winnowing fan. What is the true self? What, what can be trusted that I, I don't have a problem with this as the spirit of God, as the voice of God welling up from a deep place and what's coming from a wounded place or a a fearful place or um, a, a place of, you know, you know, wanting to make myself look better in front of other people, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it requires a lot of, um, I don't know, it's kind of a, it's slow work, but it's the real spiritual work that I think, um, I think people need, people want. But so much of church doesn't allow permission to even go in that, that, that direction, I would say. Yeah. 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 This is, um, so like this morning I was, I was, there's three things that happened recently. There was, uh, um, there was, there was my uh, talking with my wife and having this moment where she was like, you know, you're like, it's really easy for you to, to go into the cerebral conversation. And it's really easy for you to think about things that are challenging. Um, but I, sometimes I just want to be, hugged <laughs> and she was calling me out she and and i and i reached the point where i was like you're right and i don't know <laughs> why i don't go there um but just but just but Ooh. but knowing just enough to know and i was saying this i was like i think you know there's something like my thing in my childhood um was there was a, a dominant message like your needs are not important. Yeah. And so what happens frequently when people have that message uh, in their childhood is they, they go to the spot where, where I would go, which, which is, well, then I just won't have needs. Mm. And then I'm, I'm clear. You're safe. Like I'm safe. You're safe. I'm safe. As long as I just don't need yeah. anything. Yeah. And, and I was, and I was just tuning into like, I think there's something about that. And it's really a struggle for me to um, just, allow for, for, you know, needs to kind of exist and, and to be, I don't know, tender, um, and loving. And then I went on to have a dream where I'm, there's a, a character in the dream, a female, of course, this is, you know, if you're into dream stuff, who's being just incredibly like generous and loving with me and with, and with like a house full of people. It's like, it's like we're in a house full of people and she just goes around and she's just fantastic, like uh, present, generous, caring with every single person, including me. Um, and, and like, and like the me in the dream is kind of like, well, I want more time. We, you know, I want more with, with that. And then I got up and I, and I was just sort of allowing the dream to kind of, I didn't even write the dream down, but I was just allowing it to kind of like sit with me. And I found myself, I found myself sitting in a quiet spot and I was, and I was crying. And this is kind of, this is all foreign for me, by the way. This is by the way, stuff. time out. This is what you mean about your being personal. Yes. I'm being I'm, personal I'm right now. I'm quoting poems. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and quote Rilke the moment I finished telling I you the story. Two, two, two lines of poetry while oh, you were talking about Of course you did. I'm going to throw them out. I forgot them already. Um, no, but I'm crying because I'm just, I'm just, I'm allowing that to, to sit and say, okay, there's, like, like as uh, allowing this thought to happen, you in the dream are kind of chasing after this part of you mm. and you, you know, you want it, you know, it's there, but when you wake up, you're sitting here in this quiet room and you don't know how to connect to it. And it's, mm. and I don't even know what the crying part was about. I think maybe there was some sadness of grieving, mm. but maybe there was also some like feeling like I, I'm, I'm connecting. I don't even know what it was, but it was like this kind of awakening to, um, there's something going on here that, that you can tune into, but and I guess this is why I started talking about it in the first place. Cause it feels like I literally just barely scratched the surface of something that is 
incredibly important. And at the and as of today, it feels like I'm probably years away from yeah. ever quite getting to whatever it is that's that's happening. That makes sense. Yeah. And when, yeah. so when you say the hard work, I guess that's what I'm. Yeah, I mean, that's such a powerful image. I mean, that is a part of your own wholeness, in my view, that's already in you. You are that woman. You have already in you that capacity. If I had to guess, the grief is because you're you're distant from that. There's some distance between you and that reality that's already in you. Yeah. In this, like I was distant from myself. I mean, when I say I was freaked out, mm-hmm. you know, it was because it's like I felt somehow the distance between the voice that was saying, uh, who is that guy talking? And the guy who was talking up there getting a paycheck, you know, yeah, there was some gap. Uh, but what you're describing is even more of a gift in a way. I mean, in the, in the innocence of sleep. Yeah. Um, and especially coming off this conversation that you're having, having with you, maybe you should talk a bit about the loyal soldier business. Um, well, I also, the thought just occurred to me, maybe this is why I wanted to start with, with you trying to divulge something. Cause I'm like, there, cause so, there's something that's well, coming wait, out wait, where wait. I'm like, let's go ahead and get to the part where I, I become way more, not, not like, like let's get Paul to manufacture emotions, but there's a part of me that's like, wait, no, I want to be that really like present and loving and like, we're, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, no. So, I, I mean, we're talking about, so loyal soldier stuff. You're talking about like loyal soldier as a topic, or are you talking about more like, well, this thing that I've been wrestling with, <laughs> the story well, that I, I mean, you, you, you mentioned something about when you were a kid. Um, oh, yeah. You, how would you describe that again? I'll talk about the loyal soldier that developed for me. Yeah. No, it was stop. It was to just stop, stop. Stop needing things. You, your is needs a, are is a defense. Your needs are not important. Yeah. So if you don't need anything, you're not you're not going to get hurt. Because mm-hmm. you don't have you won't feel that your needs are unmet if you don't have any. Yes. Okay. So the loyal soldier, for those of you who care to learn, <laughs> for those of you who don't, for those of you who don't, you can just just hit stop. Just hit stop <laughs> you, and go back to your terrible life. <laughs> Uh, That's not what we... So the Loyal Soldier um, came out of... I won't give all of the footnotes here who first came up with this. I'll just let all that go. All right. We don't need it. It was a metaphor from these Japanese soldiers who served in World War II who were stationed on islands. And the war ended and some of them were not discovered until... 30 years later, they were still surviving on these islands, still in their uniforms, still thinking the war was going on. In other words, they were loyal soldiers. They didn't give up. They didn't say, hey, you know, I guess the war's done. Let's, uh, you know, it's Lord of the Flies here. Um, So they brought them back to the mainland and they had a massive ceremony for them. And the idea was to celebrate their loyalness, to say, thank you. What an incredible thing that you did. You served all these 30 years, even though the war was over. But we're telling you the war's over, and we want to help initiate you back into society. But the important thing was to celebrate the fact that they had served well. So as a psychological metaphor, we develop the same thing in our early psyches as a survival mechanism. What will help me survive? Just like what helped these guys survive on the islands was being loyal to the cause. They, if they would have said, it's over, nobody's coming to get me, maybe they just would have died, you know, died of depression or lack of food. But it was the drive to be loyal to the cause that mm-hmm. kept them alive. And that's exactly how the human psyche works. I am going to keep you alive. So these are really early, early survival strategies. So yours sounds like... Um, my needs are getting in the way. So if I have no needs, I'm going to survive. And the amazing thing about the loyal soldier is that it works. It keeps you alive. It keeps you alive. Um, It's just that it tends to survive into adulthood when it's no longer needed. So the way to begin to confront these 
loyal, the strategies of the loyal soldier is to, <clears throat> first of all, you have to recognize them, say, oh, this is what I do. Um, often it sounds like the voice of should. So I should be like this. And mm -hmm. if you're able to recognize those voices, you're probably a little bit closer to discovering this loyal soldier component. But the way to deal with it is not to dismiss it. Say, you would think that would be the way. Get out of here, you know. Yeah. Screw you, loyal soldier. I'm fine now. The It's to take exactly what the Japanese did, and it's to thank the loyal soldier. Thank you. You have kept me alive. You've kept me safe. I literally would not have survived as a child without your scheming strategies, but I'm they're not needed anymore. So if you're able to have like some compassion for that side of yourself, it gives you just enough distance to say, guess what? Now I can go into a room full of people and I can be vulnerable and open and say, I have needs. Mm -hmm. I can be in a room full of people and say, you know what? I'm really tired right now. I'm going to go home and go to sleep. I don't need to pretend to be something I'm not, or I don't know, whatever the case may be, um, or to express needs to say, um, you know, when you said this the other day, it really made me feel, you know, yeah, hurt. Um, instead of saying this emotional wall, which everyone has different kinds of emotional walls, so do I. Um, but anyway, that's that's like the, the the concept, the strategy of the loyal soldier, and in and it's part of it becoming um, a whole human being. It's part of becoming an adult human being to get out of these early survival strategies. Some people take them to their grave. Well, what is it? I mean, so what is it? How would you describe your loyal soldier as you have started? You to know, know, some it? of my early wounds are around not being seen. So I felt, I felt as a kid, not very recognized, seen. And my escape was, I felt at home in the woods. I lived in a log cabin and cabin is like a bit, you know, it sounds like I was chopping wood and I mean, we did have a stove. Now that I now that I think of it, but it's like you know, it was like a house, but it just had yeah. to be made of logs. Um, and you know, I felt overlooked, overseen, and I'll give you an example. Just last year, I heard actually, my mom told my wife this. So there's even a le a measure of distance. Apparently, when I was a young kid. The art teacher told my parents that I had some kind of talent. Like this, you know, Kent should, he's got a talent here in, in the art world. Hmm. Um, they didn't tell me. They said, oh, that's interesting about crazy Kent. He's got a talent in art. Um, and so certain si certain parts of, of who I just naturally was were not, I felt overlooked. Like, Art, for example, except I didn't even know this until as an adult, this was recognized by my parents, but then kind of dismissed also. Same with I'm also hearing this with both ears as uh, the child and, and now as a parent when I'm like, yep, I've done that. Yeah, totally. 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 And same with the woods. To do. <laughs> for some reason, I, f I was so, I just wanted to be outside all the time. But this was, I wouldn't say my parents mocked that, but it was like there was some, they didn't really understand. What yeah. mattered to my parents was ministry life. My dad was a pastor. My mom played the piano. And the only kind of recognition I could get, the only time I felt seen is when I performed. Oh. So come up and do... I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm wincing right now because... Not because I'm feeling sympathy for you, but because I see it in my own children performing for me. Yeah, perform for me. And I, I don't know... So anyway, that, that's a wound. So the loyal soldier says, if you want to be um, loved, if you want to be loved and accepted, perform. Mm -hmm. Don't follow things like go to the woods. And you're talking about your own loyal soldier right now. You're no, not talking I, like in the This is not a hypothetical. Yeah. Getting personal here, Paul. I'm, I'm here. All right. I'm with it. <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> No, that's exactly what the law, so perform. And if you think about my life where, 
so much of fundamentalist and evangelical Christianity gave me a lot of trouble. I had so many doubts, even from an early age, so many doubts. And I would go to the edge and come back, go to the edge and come back, go to the edge and come back. And I'm, I'm, I don't regret any of that, but a lot of that behavior was because the only way to get recognition, affirmation, love was to perform in certain circles where everyone would say, we recognize that. I'll give you an example. When I was in college, um, <laughs> it sounds kind of lame. I almost feel like embarrassed to say it, but um, I was into poetry. I took a poetry class. It's probably like a lot of college people, not in like already distancing myself from it. But. It's because we wrote really shitty poetry. Oh yeah. Totally. At a time when we were, when we were, when everything was so incredibly profound, it not was. realizing that you were having the exact same experience that millions and millions and millions of other people have. And you're writing the same shitty words down on the paper. And Precisely. it's not actually. Precisely. But I did win a poetry contest. Congratulations. In my college. So I won a hundred bucks and I got in the magazine or whatever. And um, they were not particularly fantastic poems, but I liked them. Like I, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. I'm getting deep, you know, I'm saying it. And I showed them to my dad one time. And now I understand poems don't take very long to read. I gave him a stack of poems. I said, I am kind of, so he like sort of flipped through them. 45 seconds later. Yeah. And he, he handed them back to me and he said nothing. Just no, no, nothing came out of his mouth. And I was like, did you, I said, did you read them? Yeah, I read them. All right. Interesting. I, so I guess interesting came out of his mouth and he went back to watching. Which interesting always means not interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. It's the least interesting thing to say about something. Yeah. So he just handed it back to me and it, it did hurt. I mean, I couldn't admit it at, right in the moment other than I was pissed and went somewhere. I didn't realize that I was just actually hurt. What it reminded me of is being a kid. Like I have this other world that I'm interested in that doesn't fit. Oh. And I mean, I mean, my dad was a fine person, but he didn't read poems. You know, he didn't read poetry. He didn't, he wasn't into music. He, he had the thing that he was into. So in order to really get my dad to respond to something, I had to talk about the Bible. Mm -hmm. So when I finally, when I graduated with a, with an English degree and I wanted to do an MFA and I took, I started down that path and that's kind of blank, you know, um, Masters of Fine Arts, MFA. Yeah. And I was into playwriting. I wrote a few plays also blank stares from my, my parents around that sort of stuff. But as soon as I switched to biblical studies and went to Israel, then all of a sudden it's like, now I have something to talk about. And oh, man. that's not, I'm not even trying to throw my parents under the bus, no, no, but no. I'm just trying to describe the wound, a little bit of the wound and a little bit of how the loyal soldier works. If you want to be safe, if you want to survive, if you want to be loved, if you want to be accepted, play the game. Yeah. And the game works. Yeah. The loyal soldier knows what he is talking about. It freaking works. Except you get to a certain point in life and you start to have out-of-body experiences like I was having saying, <laughs> who the hell is that guy talking right now on a stage at a church where thousands of people are watching? I was waiting for you to bring that back around. See? It was so great. See? I love, I know that we're not supposed to just be sitting here interviewing you, but this is so great. It's not an interview. <laughs> the more you think about it as an interview, the worse these will be. No, I'm not thinking about it like that. I'm just loving listening to, this is you talking at a different level than I feel like you have um, in the past. And it's, I'm, I'm. A whole nother level. I'm loving it. Not like in this kind of like voyeuristic way. I'm just like, I, I love this moment right now. Ah, oh, it feels so good. And, and here's the crazy thing. It's like, I see it in my own kids. Like the youngest one, she, she knows how to make me laugh. And she knows that like, I respond. She's the clown. And the oldest one, super smart. She comes home and she's like, look what I did. And it, like, it's, we're playing the same game. Part of it might just be that as children, um, <laughs> I, 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 
I don't mean this like in any sort of derogatory way toward children. I think we just all do it. It's almost like we're projecting too much on our parents because they're like God-like people, right? But you don't realize, no, they're just regular people. They don't get poetry at all. Or, Or my dad, you know, whatever it is like. I might be a, you know, maybe it's, you know, I'm a, I might be a complete goofball, but when I bring home, you know, uh, an A in biology, oh my God, does that like hit something in him because he's always admired people that have that kind of, you know, analytical thinking or whatever like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing you can't see is, I mean, I can forgive my parents for at least try to for just who they are. I mean, they had uh, the world, they had their own small worldview, like we all do. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing though. Well, and they're growing up at a time, like this is also the weird thing that I'm realizing as I'm raising my children, uh, to be my child at the age of 33 is going to be totally different than being the same age child when I'm 43. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's this constant change and you're catching them like at like they're they're going through like that really pivotal moment when you're kind of going through this other moment on this other continuum (laughs) maybe maybe being a parent is like being a detective i mean good parenting and uh, you know i'm not going to write a book on parenting anytime soon but a good parent probably is just a good detective what makes this wildly unique human being tick what makes them come alive yeah and that's hard because you have to say i have to move toward their world not if they want to grow up they have to move toward my world yes and and i'm not saying i'm not the i'm personally not the kind of parent that's like i'm just going to follow the kid around and whatever if they want to write on the walls fine write on the walls no right I, i have no problem with boundaries i have no problem with limits um, I think all of those are necessary containers because they create actually a psychological safe place for kids. Here's the container. However, I don't know. It seems to me just to become, and when I think about my own kids, and I'm sure you, you are the same way, they are so unbelievably unique. Yeah. And especially at the age that our kids are, they're just right in that transition from just like their natural uniqueness to how do I begin to play this game to get the approval of the adults in my life? Mm-hmm. And that's, and you can't avoid the little loyal soldier. My kids are going to have loyal soldiers. They're going to get messages, yeah. uh, the should messages. It's the way it is. But um, if I can be the kind of parent that at least, that at least is sensitive enough to say, this is something unique down in the depths of your own true being and I want to do whatever I can to nurture that, to encourage that, to give that the thumbs up. Um, then with all the other terrible things that I'm, I have done as a parent, I'll hope that I'll, I'll hope I'll be able to find a few moments like that. A few instances where I can say, yes, I saw that in you. Yeah. And maybe that's part of my own wound because I felt unseen. You know, I want to see my own kids just the way they are Yeah. and not constantly be saying, you should be this way if you want to get my approval, you know, yeah, or get the approval of the world or be a success or whatever kind of other nonsense we, we put out there. I, well, both my wife and I have given each other basically the same advice at different times, which is essentially this, you know, just be curious, mm-hmm. just yeah. get interested yeah. in whatever it is that, that they're doing. And, um, and and actually, I've I've started to even kind of like plant little seeds. Like if I notice, I'm like, oh, this one's got a real problem with feeling feeling like like they have to be perfect, you know, and yeah. perform. She has to be perfect and perform. It's trying to plant seeds of like, your. <laughs> this is me. This is totally me having a conversation where I'll say something like, your personality type. Um, but no, like, but like, your personality is starting to show, you know, signs of like needing to be perfect to, to, you know, please other people. And, and just trying to, I'm almost like trying to plant like the, um, you know, like the fuse that'll eventually go off or something where, where I'm, I'm trying to, where I'm saying the opposite, where I'm like, your challenge is going to be, yeah. you know, 
that yeah. that that you don't need to be perfect. And actually, I was just having this conversation with my daughter. I'm like, let's practice failing. Mm. I was like, that's the one thing you're not good at right now. It's just letting yourself fail every once in a while. If something, if you're not crazy about something, or it's or you have too, you're overwhelmed, or there's not enough time, like just let the thing, let something fall off the table. And it's become a joke, you know, where she's like, I'm practicing failing. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's almost, cause you're never going to, I mean, you're right. You're never going to get around the loyal soldier. Everybody's going to grow up with one. Everybody's going to have to figure one out. There's no such thing as like perfect parenting where you somehow, because part okay. of, because part of, I feel like part of the, part of the whole human thing is you have to, you have to have a, you're not a human if you don't have a dragon to yeah. slay. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as becoming a human without the dragon. That's yeah, why, no that's kidding. why, like, that's why Eden is gone. Yeah. Or, or well, Eden I mean, you may, out. but you may not be able to help her slay the dragon and fail, you know, at 12 years old or. Right. But, um, but, but planting the seed that like, oh, yeah. your dragon might be yeah. this. You might start yeah, to, so. to, to wake up to this later, later on. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I mean with planting the, yeah. the fuse that maybe will go off later. Yeah. But I, um, and Joseph, okay. The, for some reason, this was popping up in my mind. Uh, cause I was watching power of myth with Joseph Campbell, Bill Moyers interviewing Joseph Campbell. And they're talking about the cave, these cave paintings in France mm. from, you know, 30,000 years ago. And, uh, and Joseph Campbell is describing going down there. And one thing he said that just, I was just like, what? He's like, when you go down there and you're in the dark and you see these caves, he's like, when you start to think about, he's like, it, he was talking about himself. He's like, when I started to think about the world outside with the sun and the light, I started to realize like, that's like a secondary world. Yeah. This is like the primary world. Mm-hmm. And then he just started to describe the cave paintings. He's like, well, read the most interesting question about cave paintings was, is this aesthetic like, did they intend to make them look this way or, and he described it like this. He said, or like the way that a spider makes the web and it's beautiful and all it's doing is just doing its thing, doing its nature. That Was that what these cave paintings question. are? Yeah. And when we're talking about our children, we're talking about trying to get to something like I keep seeing that image of the, you know, of the, the spider creating its web. And then the cave paintings, like, is this just beauty that comes out of human beings? And like, while we're, it's like, we're trying, yeah. trying to preserve that, even though it's probably impossible to preserve, but to, but to get back to that somehow. It's yeah, that is a, that is an amazing question. What, if there's such thing as a natural self, this has been a question I've had the last couple of years. Is there a natural Kent down there somewhere that just by being Kent, creating some kind of web, whatever yeah. that is in, in, in my own naturalness, what is that? I mean, and to think about human beings, I mean, before there was art, the category of art, mm-hmm. art collections, someone is a quote artist who were these people 30,000 years ago? Were they just simply doing something as natural as, I don't know, learning to walk? And was it, was it a natural part of their language? Cause they had some kind of language. This is obviously a kind of language in and of itself. Was that part of their natural language just to create these amazing, and it's seemingly superfluous. In other words, I mean, they're not survival mechanisms. You don't look at them and say, this is a way of survival. You know, this is certainly something spiritual, you know, something sacred that Mm -hmm. is in addition to the fact that they have to go out and kill these bison or whatever they were in the, yeah. In the cave paintings. It was not treated as graffiti. It wasn't like it's super cold outside. Let's just stay inside and paint. (laughs) It wasn't like a preschool activity. (laughs) No, but it all, I mean, maybe it was someone in particular in the village, but apparently, I mean, and you know this too, but they were created over many thousands of years. So these are whole generations of people who are contributing to these amazing works of art. Yeah. What is that natural human self? Um, is that still, you know, is that down there somewhere? And when you live, when you live in a, in a, in a, in a culture that is saying identity is primarily about achieving some specific role, you know, yeah. you were born to, to, you know, 
or you need to grow up and, and achieve this role. I want to be a fill in the blank. Well, and, and coming from your parents where it's like, I'm really interested in what you're doing when you're doing fill in the blank. Not so interested when you're doing, I mean, for me, it was kind of the opposite than the experience that you had, whereas my parents were always very, very fascinated as soon as I did something super creative, mm. as soon as I was the unique snowflake in the room, which I have now, you know, <laughs> aspired to be in every single room I'm ever in. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. It's going to happen regardless. Yeah. There's no mom and dad where that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But this idea of, of, I don't know, some kind of, I don't know. That's an incredible question that Joseph Campbell is asking. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because I, I guess it's it's because it's maybe the most intriguing question um, when you're doing like what you're doing now, which is the looking back and the saying, okay, who was I, who was I when I was the loyal soldier mm. that having a wake up call where something outside of, well, you are stepping outside of you and looking back and saying, Hey, what's, who's that guy yeah. that's on stage. It kind of starts to point to the, like, so who, so then what is it if it's just coming out, coming out of my nature? Yeah. As opposed to coming out of my, well, coming out of my soldier, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Can I do one poem? Am I allowed to do one poem? All right, you can do a poem. It's just one line. It's in, it's in Mary Oliver's poem, The Journey, where she says, one day you finally knew what you had to do and you began. That's, that's the poem that I used when I um, left, left Marcel. I, I quoted a bit from it. And because that line was so powerful, one day you finally knew what you had to do and you began. And then... She goes on to say, you know, voices are shouting their bad advice and telling you basically not to go. And it's a, it, the night, it's already late and it's a wild night and there are trees and branches in the road and so forth. And then she says, but slowly the stars began to, sh to burn through the sheets of clouds. And you started and you heard a voice and you heard a voice that you slowly recognized as your own. That's the thing. That uh, is the thing that yeah. I am longing for. It's the thing that I think people are longing for. It takes a poet to name something like that. A voice that you slowly recognize. I don't think you recognize it, you know, like as an epiphany. Now I know my voice and my place in the world and it all makes sense. And, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm an investment banker and it all boom. Right. It all, no, it's a voice that you slowly, and I think it takes a lot of dismembering, which is Joseph Campbell's major metaphor. You go out, you leave the loyal soldier, you go out into the vast world beyond and you're dismembered. Mm -hmm. Something about your old way of being in the world comes apart. It falls apart only to receive that voice that you slowly recognize as your own. It's like, if you think about Jesus, I mean, he lives for 30 years. According to the Gospels, he's doing his thing for like 30 years, hanging out at home, you know, doing, uh, maybe you've heard that great Jewish joke, how do we know Jesus was 30? Well, he lived at home and never got married, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, and his mother thought he was the Messiah, that sort of stuff. Great Jewish joke. So... But he's, he's, uh, he is at home. He's a kind of a, I know he goes off at 12 and goes to the temple or whatever, but besides that story, he's pretty much a loyal dude. He's hanging out at home. He lives in Nazareth. He's being a carpenter, you know, making some buildings for 30 years. And it takes him leaving that environment, going into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, which maybe was a literal thing. I bet it was a literal thing. I don't know about actual 40 days, but that's like symbolic of the whole 40-year wilderness journey, you know, the Exodus mm -hmm. journey. He goes out and he's tempted by Satan, which if you just read that in a very basic sort of psycho-spiritual reading, he is confronted by Satan, demons, dark side, all of the questions of, of power and prestige and meaning, you know, 
turn things into, you know, turn these stones to bread, jump off a high building. If you want lots of power, I'll give it to you. He's tempted by all of the, but somehow he comes to recognize some other voice, you know, some other interior, deeper voice, the voice of God, his true self, whatever you want to call it. And that's when he starts things, you know, he leaves home, he gets taken apart in the wilderness, a place where he's hungry. And he comes out of there, recognize, slowly recognizing a voice of his own. And the whole world gets turned upside down. He goes to like normal fishermen and says, let's start a movement basically. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It's, and I think, I think people, I know I do. I think people are on the spiritual journey. If that, if I can use that phrase, um, that's part of what they're longing for. Do you not agree? Just the quest isn't just like, maybe someday I'll obey enough of the rules you know, no. like the God, like the loyal soldier in the, the religious world is I'm going to keep all the right rules. You know, I'm going to say all the right prayers. I'm going to get baptized by the right guy in the right kind of water. And then God's going to like me. Well, eventually that starts to collapse and people yeah. start to say, what is really going on? Who is this God? Why have I been keeping these rules? Where is my voice in all of this? Is there a voice that I can recognize as my own in any of this? And that's like the start of the real spiritual journey. I love, I love the way it's described that um, in every single myth, uh, every, and, and when I say myth, I'm referring to in every single story of a spiritual quest. In every single spiritual quest, the accident is always the thing that had to happen yeah. in order for it to begin. Yeah. What looks like an accident is the thing that begins the story and, and continues to turn the story each time it needs to shift, but it always looks like it wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. That's like the Thomas Merton thing. You climb, you climb to the top of the ladder to realize you're on the wrong wall. You know, it's, that is an accident. You know, you're like, I'm doing it and I'm doing it. I'm climbing. And then all of a sudden something happens, some failure, some scandal, some burning passion, some wake up call, some, you get fired, you know, your friend dies, you know, whatever. And boom, you're like, oh, all right, here I am. All right. It's time to get in the hot tub. Let's do it. Okay.